You're listening to In the Green Chair, a podcast series by Relay Education, a Canadian charity that delivers hands-on quality programming about environmental topics, renewable energy, climate change, and green careers. If you're looking to start, grow, or transform your green career, this show's for you. I'm your host, Madison Kendall. One of my very favorite educators, Mr. Rogers, once said, anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we can talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. And the people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. Today's guest, also an educator, has her sights set on doing just that. Sydney Howlett is an experienced environmental and sustainability educator, and she's currently pursuing a Master of Education, researching how complex climate emotions can be addressed by educators in the classroom. Emotions shape people's reactions to the climate crisis in profound but complex ways. Climate emotions are related to resilience, climate action, health, and psychological well-being. Sydney's work helps to empower young people and their teachers in these challenging times kind of like Mr. Rogers. So come along with me and meet Sydney. Welcome to In the Green Chair. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. My question for you, Sydney, what did you want to be when you grew up? I never really had a solid career that I was aiming for. I wasn't one of those kids who always knew what they wanted to be or knew even what industry they wanted to get into. Um, I've always dabbled in a lot of different subjects and a lot of different hobbies. Um, And I think I've definitely carried that throughout my professional career as well of uh, never being really stagnant and always kind of being fluid and responsive to uh, whatever was happening in my life at the time. Um, Actually, if you ask my parents what I wanted to be when I was younger, it was a crossing guard. Um, I loved spending time outside and getting to chat with people every day. So I thought that was the ideal job. So I was very disappointed to learn that that was not a career option for me long term. That's so cute. I still remember my crossing guards too. They, they really do have an impact on the community, um, just like the work you're doing now does. Why do you think that is a significant thing to be involved in in 2023? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know that a couple of years ago in 2021, a really landmark study came out um, that showed how young people were feeling about climate change and about um, folks in leadership positions. And it was um, it, it was a sad reality that a lot of students are feeling anxious, they're feeling overwhelmed, helpless, hopeless, um, and really just don't have a great view of their own futures. Um, based on what's happening and how uh, the adults in their lives are responding to that situation. And so since then, there's been a number of studies who have confirmed this. Uh, Most recently, about two weeks ago, a Canadian study came out um, and showed that our youth are feeling the same way. Um, And as educators, I think we have a responsibility to um, help our students understand the climate crisis, but also um, prepare them with the emotional resilience to to deal with this reality so that we can move past, uh, you know, the fear and the um, stagnation that comes from uh, looking at climate change, which is an incomprehensible issue for uh, for most young people, um, and, and move towards action. So finding a way to uh, find hope um, 
and move past this level of despair. And so I think uh, that research for me was, um, it resonated really well with me. I, as somebody who has been really uh, hopeless about the future at times and has really struggled with my own feelings about climate change, um, knowing that I wasn't alone was uh, was nice, but then learning that there are people who are, are working to do something about it. Um, I couldn't imagine not wanting to be a part of that transition and that change. And um, as an educator, I felt the best use of my skills um, was to do that through education. Uh, so that kind of brings me to where I am today. And I, I'm really passionate and love what I do. So um, yeah, it comes from a bit of personal, but also looking at what's happening nationally and internationally with youth. Nowadays, there's so much information out there that is just nonstop terrible realities and things that need urgent action. When when did addressing climate anxiety and, and climate emotions, not just anxiety, but climate emotions, when did that become a thing? It's been growing over time. I think now because of social media and the constant bombardment of, hey, the world is on fire. Hey, these terrible things are happening. Hey, uh, you know, our politics is not being responsive. I think um, students and young people really, they see that and they feel that a lot more than we did as young people. Um, and I think it was a lot easier to be ignorant um, when we were younger because we didn't have that same access to information. Um, there also wasn't the responsibility. Nobody was looking at us to say, hey, you need to solve this problem. And so I think it's really in the last five years that research has really highlighted the intensity of the problem. I think this idea that, that young people have been nervous about the future, I think every generation has had some, uh, you know, kind of crisis that they've looked to and, and have felt that way. And I I, I know that there are people who have been working in this space for 20 plus years. Um, so I don't think it's a new thing. I think it's just something that's coming to the forefront of our attention um, because of how bad it's getting and how severe the mental health crisis is for our young people, not just about climate change, but really just in general, they're, they're dealing with a lot. Definitely. Well, you, you made a really good point. Like it's, it's not a, a new concept to be worried about the future and the impact that industries are are having on the world that we live in. Um, but it sounds like research on the topic is a, a relatively new area of study. Yeah, it's definitely an emerging field, but there's been a proliferation of research in this area that's come out in the last uh, even just three to five years. And um, it's it's being pumped out at a, an unprecedented rate, I would say. I think um, folks from around the world are really kind of coming together to uh, conduct research and build on on what's been done. Um, so it's, it's happening quickly and uh, hopefully out of all of this research, um, then policymakers and educators can use this information. Uh, to really enact change and, and hopefully support young people, but but also the rest of us who, who are also struggling with this crisis, um, kind of move forward and and find new ways to uh, to navigate um, a, a, a crisis that we've had for for a while, but are just kind of coming to terms with. Mm -hmm. Not an easy thing to do. How do you find hope, and how do you help others find it? Oh, that's a really good question. And something I would say I'm still navigating. I, I would say I still find times where I fall into despair. I do a lot of reading, um, a lot of podcasts, which I, I think find I, that's where I find a lot of hope. Um, I know 
uh, Ellen Kelsey, Dr. Ellen Kelsey out in BC has uh, a book called Hope Matters. And um, that was kind of the first book that introduced me to this concept of constructive hope. Um, I think also recognizing uh, prior to doing research in this area, I didn't realize that you could be, uh, that you could hold hope, but still be upset and worried and afraid of the future, that those two things um, can be held simultaneously. And we are completely capable of holding many things in our minds at the same time. and They don't cancel each other out. You can be hopeful and still feel the reality and the urgencies. I, I know I've talked to a lot of teachers who are doing incredible things in the climate education space. And I think that for me is hopeful to hear about and see those, um, those pieces and pockets of transformative change happening and knowing that, hey, we might not be where we want to be, but we're further ahead than we were 10, 15 years ago, and we're heading in the right direction. I, I try and just hold those emotions simultaneously. And for me, I find a lot of that hope in, in the work of other folks. You are currently reading a book. What book are you reading? Oh, yes. Um, it's called All We Can Save, Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis. Actually, this was um, borrowed from a professor of mine who um, is, is acting as a support for me as I find hope. Um, and I think having a community where you can talk about these emotions and these feelings with other people, not only uh, to validate that they are okay, but also to recognize that you aren't alone um, and you don't have to navigate them alone and that there are a multitude of solutions um, and you can be part of those solutions. So I would highly recommend the book. It's a, basically a collection of essays, poems, um, and, and written works by a number of female climate leaders, um, from youth to uh, researchers to policymakers uh, to folks on the ground who are uh, working to build resilience in their community. And they talk a lot about um, you know different solutions for the climate crisis, different ways to frame your mind when you're approaching these um, these issues, the value of community and, and building that sense of resilience as a collective. When did that connection spark for you? I think as an educator, I really struggled um, to not bring my own pessimism about the climate crisis um, into my teaching and, and have that uh, project onto students. And so um, when I was talking with students about climate change, I find I would uh, almost dance or tiptoe around certain issues that I was concerned would bring out uh, my true feelings or my true emotions about the topic. And it wasn't until later that I realized that, hey, maybe it would be good for me to talk about that, but also for young people who are feeling that. Um, and it really, that stemmed from research when I was looking into, okay, how can I go about having these conversations with young people um, and having these conversations with educators who are worried about the same thing? Um, and the research really talks about um, being really open about those feelings and making space for them in the classroom. And so um, that's when I began to see, okay, how could I incorporate this in? And it's grown to looking at uh, more hopeful futures, for example, and, and how can we incorporate that into our everyday learning and teaching so that we always have um, these different versions of our future and students aren't always, I guess, reverting to the, the future's on fire, the, the present is on fire. It's, it's 
just doom and gloom from here on out, that they actually can envision an alternative future. And so it really came out of an insecurity of mine as an educator, not feeling comfortable and confident to be able to have these conversations. Um, but my my knowledge really comes from what's coming out of the research and what's coming out of uh, thought leaders in this space. The, the phrase different versions of our future is something I've never heard before. And I think that that's so hopeful. Wow. So you spoke about the way that teachers deal with their students having this climate anxiety, this, these climate emotions, and, and what, that, what that can look like in the education system. Uh, we really have to move towards a more holistic way in general of addressing climate change education if uh, we're going to be successful in talking about emotions. Because I don't know about you, but my, you know, grade 10 data math class wasn't going to be a suitable place to start talking about how we feel. And so um, transitioning away from this idea that we are primarily knowledge based to more competencies um, is really needed. And, and that's happening in parts of the country. I know BC has a competency-based curriculum. Um, Ontario, of course, is a little bit slower to move, but um, I, I think there needs to be some level of collaboration among educators first about how we deliver climate change education. And then um, kind of that concept of it takes a uh, you know, a community to raise a child. It, it also takes a community of educators um, to help foster that resilience in students. And so it really needs to be coming from every subject and it needs to be a lot of work um, on the teacher's end to discuss and talk about what's happening in each class and how we can use that to, to build knowledge and build resilience and, and talk about solutions from different angles so that um, hopefully, you know, students see these solutions and they don't fall into despair in the first place so that we're not in a position where we need to pull them out. Um, we're in a position where they already have the strategies, they already have the skills um, to navigate those before it even hits. And that needs to start early in education, um, but there are a lot of advocates in this space who are, who are calling for these changes. So it is happening and hopefully in the future we'll see a more holistic approach to teaching that's really collaborative um, and supportive of students as people, not just as vessels for information. I love that. Are you finding that there are people in opposition to that at all? I think there are always going to be people who want to maintain the status quo. Um, of course, transitioning is not easy. It's a lot of work um, on the ground. It's a lot of emotional labor. It's a lot of relearning and reskilling as teachers. Um, and for a system that hasn't changed in well over 100 years, it, it can be a shock and change is always going to be hard. But I think when you get down to the nitty gritty of why we're making this transition, I don't think anyone um, could find justification as to why we don't need to move this way. I think the how is really stopping a lot of folks and the fact that unfortunately uh, education is provincially mandated. And so um, even if other provinces are moving forward, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we are. And so there, there is opposition, but I would say they're louder, but fewer than the advocates. So there are a lot of people in the space who are trying to make change and a lot of teachers who, even if not on a systemic level, are working to make change just in their individual classrooms. And, and that's radiating out and we're seeing the ripple effects of that. Um, and it's just a matter of time before that 
that gains even more momentum and, and moves up into system changes. But uh, there are a number of, uh, I know, policy researchers and educational researchers who are working in this space to see how can we move things forward and how can we do it uh, at, a, at a quicker pace. So that's the space that you're in now. I, I would love to hear a little bit about your experience pre-grad student. Yeah, it's um, an interesting one. So my undergraduate degree is actually in interdisciplinary studies. And um, when I was in school, interdisciplinary wasn't a common word or a common phrase. And so throughout my undergraduate, while I specialized in two areas, I had the opportunity to take a number of courses from different disciplines and find ways that they can all kind of come together. And this idea of interdisciplinary really resonated with me. I loved that I could, um, you know, learn about different subjects and I wasn't siloed or funneled into just one thing, being the person that I was and liking so many different things. And so when I went on to become a teacher and really got into the classroom, I embodied that. Instead of teaching math and science and English, or I was a French teacher, French, um, in, in these subjects, I would teach based on projects. And so we would have, you know, three to four month long inquiries where we're just focusing on one project that crossed all of these different disciplines. Um, so when I was doing project-based learning, of course, with kids, they're interested in the environment and they love animals and insects. And so it's a really easy avenue to explore the world through. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, where my love of the environment and teaching about the environment uh, really flourished. And it was really great experience for me. And I, I did enjoy my time there. And I, I love education. Um, and I think that's where I was able to, to see that flourish and see that, oh, actually, education can be used in other ways. You know, it too can be interdisciplinary and, and can be applied in other ways. And that's not necessarily something that's talked about to prospective teachers that, hey, you actually, you don't need to teach in a school. There are alternative ways that you can use that, that knowledge and those skills that you have as an educator. Can you explain what the different types of of educating can can look like, if not in a traditional setting? Looking at how um, educators can be used to work in uh, NGOs. I also know educators who work on, you know, curriculum development and in consulting in different capacities and developing resources. And uh, these are things that just don't come to mind when you think about, hey, I, I have a, a Bachelor of Education. I'm a teacher. Of course, you think immediately, you know, the, the square school that you're you're going to be teaching in a classroom and we're just at a point in time where that's that's not the case anymore there are a lot of different opportunities that uh, teachers can can leave the formal education system but still be in education which is what you did you left your elementary school french teacher job and you went into your role as an engagement manager with green learning can you explain what your role was and and what the significance of green learning is Oftentimes, incorporating environmental resources or environmental education is something new for a lot of teachers, and it can be um, a really intimidating space. There are countless resources and simulators out there, and it's uh, sometimes it's hard to know where to begin or how exactly this resource fits into your classroom. And not all teachers are at a place where they feel they can um, effectively deliver that um, education. And so my role was really supporting teachers in that capacity. Not only supporting students, but 
teachers as well in um, incorporating this really important information. It's very, very cool. Just very cool. It's cool to care. <laughs> it is cool to care. It's so cool to care. Oh, <laughs> did you did you ever think that you would be able to? Like, did you ever think that you would fit this kind of role? I honestly didn't even know this kind of role existed. I, you know, was very naive in thinking that teachers went to school and did their Bachelor of Education and then were teachers for the rest of their lives. You know, my grandfather was a teacher and I never heard about these opportunities or that he was engaging in anything like this. And so it was all brand new to me. And I think these roles are something that's um, a little bit more emerging. Um, I'm not sure if when I was uh, even in high school, if that would have been an option of a career to look at. Um, it was really just a snowball that that started with thinking about things different ways and then moving forward into how can I incorporate this into education. At what point did you decide, okay, there is something missing in this and it is the emotional side? I don't know if I can boil it down to necessarily one point in time, um, but I think what really sparked my thinking around emotions was um, a student had asked me and they were a grade 12 students. We were having a very mature conversation about um, the clean energy transition. And they looked at me at the end and they said kind of a point blank, like, do you think we're going to be okay? Like, is, is everything going to be okay? Or is it just going to keep getting worse as, you know, simulators predict? And um, at that point, I, I gave a maybe a bit of a faulty answer that was not really how I how I truly felt. And, and after that question, I, I went to my partner and I had been really upset about, uh, you know, being asked that question and the way I had responded in such like a, a false, of course, it's going to be okay. We're going to, we have to have hope. It's going to be so much, you know, different, but better. And um, I think from then I, I, I realized that I was struggling myself with how I felt about it. Um, and that's when I started to be like, okay, you know, if I ever get asked that question again, what's the most appropriate way to respond? How can I uh, do this in a delicate way that still um, underscores the urgency and the uh, complexity of the problem? Um, and when I came up a little bit short on, you know, there aren't a ton of resources out there. There's not a lot of information um, of, of what we can do or strategies. Um, that that's when I realized, okay, maybe there's a gap here. Um, and I'd like to start exploring how, um, you know, me and my work, how I can have start fill that to fill that gap. Um, so it, I, I guess, boils down to that one question where um, I don't think it's too often where a student will ask you this uh, really big existential question and, and you're forced to kind of grapple with your own feelings. Um, but from there, it, it kind of tumbled and it was over months and months that um, this kind of ruminated in me. And I, I was doing some poking around and, you know, asking others in this space, you know, what do you do when somebody asks you or, or how do you respond to this? Or how do you deal when, when you leave a, you know, a session having just talked about, um, you know, the impacts of climate change and, and talking about warming and how do you leave that? And then, you 
know, go about your daily life without, uh, you know, feeling a, a big cloud over yourself all of the time. So it, I guess I could boil it down to that one point, but really um, the thought and the transition and, and really coming to decide that this is something I wanted to pursue was over several months and in conversation with uh, many other folks that um, I found out there really was no quick and easy answer. There wasn't a PDF I could just, uh, you know, download and move on with my day. And so uh, here I am trying to see if, you know, I can uh, help create resources and help create supports um, to help fill that gap so that uh, educators like me uh, don't feel completely lost and have to spend hours, uh, you know, scouring the internet for any bit of, of support in that area. It takes a, a special understanding of your own emotions to realize that you're not speaking truthfully and then to go on and look within and figure out, okay, how do I, how do I figure out what I am feeling? How do I figure out how to communicate that um, productively? And how do I turn that into positive change? If that student asked you that today, are we going to be okay? How would you answer today? I think I would say, you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, I would explain to them the potential scenarios that we have. And some of those scenarios look really, really bleak. Um, but some of those scenarios also look really, really bright. And um, we we can have these potentials and, and any of these futures are a possibility. But, uh, you know, you and I having this conversation today is, is pointing us towards a certain future. And, and it's helping to to move us in that direction. And so, um, you know, if we keep on this path, we can head towards the, the brighter future. Not to say that that's where we'll be, but it's not to say that it that we won't end up there. Um, so I think I, I would be very uh, political in my answer in that I, I don't know and you can't know. And all we can do is is work towards the future that we hope to have and, and realize that that can be a possibility. And if we're only going to focus on uh, the, the worst case scenario, then, uh, you know, that's where we'll end up. But if we focus and work towards the best case scenario, then, uh, you know, hopefully only good things can come of that. But I, I think I'd be honest in saying that, you know, I, I I don't know. And I'm I'm worried that, you know, we might not get to that future as well. But I think, uh, you know, every generation um, has to has to work together and 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 we'll get there. We will one day. <laughs> Is there anything that you really want other people to know about that we can help amplify? I would say talk about solutions just as much as you talk about um, the devastation and the loss if you are going to talk about climate change. And I encourage you to talk about climate change, even if it's um, just in your immediate circle. I think the more informed people are, the better decisions they can make. And, uh, you know, that just leads to the the brightest version of our future. So um, keep talking about it, but don't forget to to be hopeful and, and look for the, for the bright spots. Sydney, thank you so much for being here and speaking about such a, a difficult topic with us and, and giving us something to be hopeful about. Thank you so much for having me and uh, for the work that you folks do. I know this isn't my first time working with Relay Education and I, I always love following um, all of the stuff that you're doing. So uh, thank you as well. It was, it was great to be here in a great conversation. If you'd like to explore any of the resources Sydney mentioned in our conversation, you can find the links to them in our show notes. And as always, if there's something you want us to cover that we haven't covered yet, send us a message. 
either on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or send us an email. And remember, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. Until next time, this has been In the Green Chair.